7.41. The annual ASEAN Regional Forum slated for tomorrow in Singapore will be the highest profile diplomatic event involving North Korea since its historic summit with the United States in June. It's really the only event of its kind that North Korea gets involved with. But it's unclear whether Pyongyang will celebrate a diplomatic victory out of this, whether maybe South Korea and others can use it as an opportunity to keep Southeast Asian nations on board with sanctions until the North denuclearizes. Renowned North Korea expert Professor Daniel Pinkston from Troy University's International Relations Faculty in Seoul now joins us on the line. Good morning. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Well, good, thank you. It's It's been, as you know very well, so hot that all the global headlines moved away from North Korea for a couple of days. But um, I presume they'll be back at least to some extent this weekend. What, what do you expect to come out of it? Well, as you mentioned uh, the ASEAN Regional Forum will be meeting. But I think we should have somewhat low expectations. There are no binding commitments that are made in, uh, in ASEAN. It's more of a talk shop, which is, is good. Uh, officials, high-level officials, are able to exchange uh, views and positions. But the decision-making process is based on uh, consensus. And as I said, there are no binding commitments. So uh, we'll see how what comes out of it. But, of course, there won't be any kind of firm commitments that uh, will require North Korea to perform any kind of um, you know, non-proliferation uh, deliverables. One of the big questions still at this point is whether North Korea will directly engage in bilateral talks with South Korea or, or any other interesting attendees. What, what's your thought on that? Well, the the foreign ministers are scheduled to uh, participate in the, the meeting, but we have to remember that those two officials do not have inter-Korean relations in their portfolio, so they're, they deal with foreign relations with other countries, and both Koreas consider uh, the other Korea and inter-Korean relations as a special relationship under this uh, temporary national division. So the foreign ministers... Um, don't deal with that directly, but if they're able to meet and exchange pleasantries and, and so forth and engage in a kind of a photo op, I think that'll be the extent of it. They might uh, deliver some, some messages from the uh, leadership from their superiors, but uh, I don't think we should expect some kind of a, a breakthrough or profound um, exchange between the foreign ministers. But the fact that North Korea is not particularly eager to arrange these talks with uh, Kang Kyung-hwa in the first place suggests that it has its own agenda there. And, and what do you think that agenda will be? Would it, would it go too far to suggest that Pyongyang will be seeking uh, ways around sanctions? Well, of course, North Korea has been seeking sanctions relief since they, they've been in place. Um, but as far as the formal process and how that would work, and be part of a process of disarmament remains to be seen. That's a complicated process. Um, we require a lot of uh, uh, work and negotiated details, and we're not in that process yet. So in the meantime, there will be some informal relaxation of, of sanctions, which China has been doing for some time. When uh, China sees North Korea behaving better or being less belligerent towards the outside world, then China will relax enforcement of sanctions kind of look the other way and uh, so we'll see how that goes uh, uh, forward I think that will continue to be the, the case and as far as any kind of formal um, you know process 
where North Korea commits to certain um, uh, nonproliferation um, goals in exchange for, um, you know, sanctions relief. I don't think we're going to see that at this uh, ASEAN meeting. No, but is it possible some of the Southeast Asian nations present or others represented will view China's actions as a benchmark? In other words, if it sees the likes of China and Russia relaxing sanctions anywhere, especially in the wake of these recent stories actually relating to last year's oil breach of sanctions uh, and, and, and coal, is there the feeling that that they might also be relaxed if, if they can follow Russia and China in that regard? Well, I think that's what we have to be concerned with. Of course, North Korea will, will you know, present an argument that we are, uh, you know, peaceful now, we're willing to coexist, we've ceased our missile testing and nuclear testing, let's return to business as usual. So for some actors in Southeast Asia, the business ties that North Korea has had in the past that go through Singapore and through Malaysia in particular, um, I'm sure they will be delivering a message that, um, you know, this is mutual uh, beneficial business. Um, let's get back to business as usual. And whether that's, um, you know, officially approved by the governments or firms will simply uh, go forward with that in Southeast Asian countries, uh, we'll have to see. But I think the the pressure, the maximum pressure campaign is um, going to be difficult to reconstitute um, in the aftermath of the Singapore summit. Um, so I think North Korea is making progress on their, you know, Byungjin line of being um, recognized as a nuclear state and to push forward their economic development, which includes an international component and uh, links to the international economy. So it's very difficult to impose uh, strict sanctions on North Korea, particularly if China is unwilling to um, impose them. We also have an interesting situation with South Korea and the US for different reasons when it comes to sanctions. On, on of course, the South Korea front, Seoul wants to be able to show some goodwill and engage in cooperation, but needs here and there some sanctions exemptions. And even the US, I, I, I've been reading from Voice of America that... Uh, there's the question of the U.S. paying North Korea for the uh, recovery of, of those troops, the 55 remains that were returned in the last few days. Are you thinking that's a problem at all? Well, in the past, I've, I've known people who have been intimately involved with the, the remains uh, recovery in the North, and I've been briefed on how some of that process works. And of course, there are legitimate expenses, vehicles and staff and um, lodging, um, other expenses, meals and gasoline and all of those types of things that have to uh, be paid for while the um, uh, recovery teams are, are looking for remains in the north. So there are legitimate expenses. There's always been a tension regarding uh, North Korean staff trying to extract rents and to raise the 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 prices and to get more uh, hard currency from the U.S. Um, through that process. But the issue with the sanctions is how they get paid, because North Korean banks are under either multilateral sanctions or U.S. unilateral sanctions. And under the sanctions regime, it's uh, basically impossible to make the transfer payments through uh, the North Korean Foreign Exchange Bank. So how they get paid for this is a question. I don't 
see the, the there doesn't seem to be transparency on that at this time. Also, UN uh, Security Council sanctions prohibit uh, large deliveries of uh, cash. So I don't know how they're they're paying for this, but I guess according to the letter of the law, it could be a violation of sanctions if they are giving North Korea large amounts of cash for these remains. Let's stay on the theme of U.S. for a moment with President Donald Trump tweeting this 18 hours ago. And I'll repeat verbatim. Thank you to Chairman Kim Jong-un for keeping your word and starting the process of sending home the remains of our great and beloved missing fallen. I'm not at all surprised that you took this kind action. Also, thank you for your nice letter. I look forward to seeing you soon. I guess the latter part of that tweet is particularly interesting. Yet another letter. What's that all about? I don't know. I haven't seen any letter. And uh, journalists, and you've done it again. You got me sucked into um, Trump's tweets. People <laughs> draw their own conclusions about his uh, uh, tweets and his misrepresentation in the past. We will see what kind of implementation goes forward. If, in fact, there are any contacts, contacts, what it will mean in terms of meetings, negotiated agreements, and of course implementation. So um, we will see. It remains to be seen what will happen with this. Yeah. I, so on the one hand, that if we were to analyze it to death, we could suggest that perhaps uh, it, it's an indication they're still planning to meet in person. But also the fact that Kim Jong-un is writing and sending letters, it, it's, a, it, it's like the other side of the, the, the uh, offensive, the charm offensive, because on the other side, you've, you've had North Korean media being fairly belligerent in the last few days. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, as far as the communication, it, it really depends upon the content of the communication. We don't have any information on that. So, I mean, there could just be some kind of uh, pleasantries or reference to the remains, repatriation, or there could be more substantial um, content in the letter. So until that's released, uh, we really have no idea. We can only speculate about that. Yeah. Uh, my guess is that it's probably just empty uh, pleasantries and platitudes and no um, discussion of firm commitments about uh, disarmament and addressing the, the security concerns. Well, there's the old saying, flattery will get you everywhere. And perhaps pleasantries matter a lot with uh, characters like Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. We'll see, as you say. We can only speculate at this point. But another thing that we can perhaps speculate on is what North Korea is doing with its ballistic missiles. Reports from the US in the last few days seem to be taking uh, us to another direction there and seem to be taken seriously by Seoul, for example. The the idea that North Korea is still developing ICBMs. Yes, that's correct. There have been open source reports from open source satellite imagery indicating that uh, North Korea was dismantling a, a engine testing facility at their uh, Space Launch Center on the northwestern coast, coast in uh, Dongchangni, which they call the Sohei uh, Satellite uh, Launch Center. So the, that's a liquid engine testing site, supposedly, but they're also working on solid fuel missiles, which have greater uh, military applications because you can prepare and launch a missile with uh, very little uh, preparation time. So they're more survivable. Uh, during a conflict. So they appear to still be working on those. Other satellite imagery has shown them to be uh, working on the solid fuel missiles at another site. And there's no reversal of 
North Korea's policy lines, as they've stated in, in the, the past. So if, in fact, there was a change in their policy orientation, there are ways to signal that and to issue declarations and to make more firm commitments, but we're not seeing any of that. Same thing with the, the nuclear test site when they blew up the, the tunnel. Yes. So that's reversible. And the other, the other point that many people are making is that they're confident with the resi- design of both their nuclear warheads and the missiles, so they don't have to test these uh, warheads for the engines anymore. So this is more kind of a television show uh, type of uh, commitment rather than a firm binding commitment. They can sign treaties like the uh, CTBT. Um, they can get into discussion about dismantling their long-range missile program in exchange for peaceful access to outer space. So they do have a legitimate uh, interest in gaining access to outer, outer space for peaceful use, for weather uh, forecasting, telecommunications, uh, and other peaceful uses. So they, if they're willing to abandon their space launch vehicle and ICBM capabilities, then they should start looking towards uh, legitimate uh, peaceful access, but they're not doing that yet. So there are many indicators we can uh, look for uh, going ahead to see if there is, in fact, a change in North Korea's policy orientation. Well, we used to talk about strategic patience under Barack Obama. Again, we can only read based on um, President Trump's behavior and uh, the character of his social media interactions. But when do you sense his patience is going to run out? Well, I think this is what we get with um, non-strategic impatience. You know, Trump is uh, notorious for um, having a a lack uh, of the ability to think strategically and to integrate um, security and economics and to think long-term in terms of a grand strategy. So, and he's also quite uh, impatient and impulsive. So, The U.S. gave many uh, deliverables for the Singapore summit, the kind of propaganda value and recognition that North Korea has sought. And North Korea has not really made any uh, uh, commitments other than the declaring a willingness to work towards denuclearization in the future. So that could be a very long time, uh, decades. And in fact, the way it's worded can be interpreted to mean the the total uh, global disarmament which under the NPT, the nuclear weapon states are committed to also disarm, and they can uh, use that as the target. But yeah. North Korea is not even party to the NPT anymore. So this is ambiguous, vague, long-term uh, commitment that uh, does not really hold North Korea's feet to the fire. Thank you, as ever, Professor Daniel Pinkston. Pleasure to have you with us on the line. My pleasure, Alex.